Welcome to Innovation Destination, the podcast channel for supply chain industry professionals. This episode is part of our Executive Perspective series, where we will hear from the C-suite of the electronics and manufacturing industry. Here's your host, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Connect, Tyler Fussner. Niels, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. If you could please introduce yourself to our audience. Sure. <clears throat> so my name is uh, Nils Steinfeld. I'm the CEO of Inriver, a Swedish uh, company that is focusing on product information management, and, and we refer to it as the new breed of PEM, but I'm sure we'll cover that uh, during the course of today. Yeah, and you know that is uh, something I definitely want to dive into. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about PIM? What is product information management? Product information management is basically keeping a digital twin of the physical product that every one of us know, whether that is a manufactured machine, it's a car, or it's a product that we are about to pick up in a in a retail store. That product itself holds a number of valid information that needs to have a one record that is following the product, whether you are in the early stages of the production, whether you're throughout the production, it might be measures, it might be recipe information, it might be information about packaging, sizing, uh, and other specific items. And you want to make sure that that is accurate across the entire supply chain. That is what product information management, in short, is all about. Okay. And something you just touched on, we want to be able to document it and have access to that information across the product's entire journey of the supply chain. But what does that mean for stakeholders throughout that supply chain? Why should they really pay attention to PIM and and how does it impact them? I mean, PIM historically, and then maybe I'm just going to take a a moment and, and step back, but historically... PIM was something many thought was something you used for your e-commerce experience. Why? Because you needed to handle a number of additional items, perhaps or specific for the um, for your commerce solution. You were needing to be able to uh, orchestrate, let's say, your overall assortment. You may have to do some other few tweaks. And so in the early days of PIM, that was where it sat. However, with all the requirement there is around supply chain transparency, being actually able now to not just promote, let's say the standard features of a product, but even to the point where some of it is about traceability and sustainability information. Those information needs to now be carried throughout the supply chain, providing not just a level of transparency, but also make sure that at the end, the consumer can take the right informed decision based on the attributes or what we would call attributes, which is those specific data points that describes this product. It could be the CO2 footprint, it could be allergies, it can be anything. But to make sure that that is accurate, you actually need to be able to track it across the supply chain. And then suddenly being able to not just receive the data, but also document that you haven't changed, altered them and they are actually accurate factual. It's something that becomes more and more important. Also, because legislators are dramatically coming close to product information management much more than they were in the past. You know, that kind of gets to the heart of what I was hoping to dive into today with our discussion is there's such a big focus on ESG scores, sustainability, providing that transparency throughout the supply chain and an entire, a product's an entire journey. 
consumers really want to better understand the environmental or social impacts of the products that they're consuming. And something else that you mentioned as well, you know, legislators and stakeholders are also helping to drive the forces towards sustainability. But with that in mind, how do you see the current state of the supply chain transparency within the manufacturing sector? And I guess looking ahead, what do you think that's going to look like in the future? I think with the risk of sounding like the wolf is coming, um, because I think others have said in the past, now is the time. I do think that overall, when you look at transparency across particular manufacturing industry, there is a level of immaturity because what has been enough for a long time has been a kind of a static modus. So once you had your product, you define what are the important attributes to, to take count of across the, uh, the supply chain. And then that was kind of the static moment. You could keep that digital twin for a much longer time. But I think something happened back in 2018 and 2019 that very few actually are aware of. Because back in 2018, uh, and it's a small little anecdote, but it actually explains my whole point in just a second. 2018, I think Hawaii was the first ever statewide ban on a little ingredient called oxybenzone and oxygenate. And why is that interesting? Well, it's because suddenly there was someone who figured out that you could actually see a breaching negative effect on coral reefs. And you figured out that it actually probably came from sunscreen. So sunscreen that had those two ingredients, oxybenzone and oxygenate, uh, was then overnight in 2018 with full effect from 2021 made illegal in the state of Hawaii, by the way, also in Australia. And then suddenly you had this requirement to have an elastic data model where you, within relatively short time, had to go all the way upstream in your supply chain, figure out, do I have this in or not? And even if I didn't, I still had to declare, I still have to be transparent about whether I had it or not. It had to be printed on the, on the packaging because otherwise you couldn't even sell it. And so suddenly we began seeing legislators with very good intentions and very good reasons. I don't think anyone is saying that was a bad idea. Having clear opinions about what shall we declare in terms of the attributes we have in a product. That level of elasticity, as we call it in InRiver, is something new. And I think we are going to see much more of that, whether we're looking at the new California legislation, the digital product passport coming up in Europe, looking at some of the great things they're doing in the Middle East, this level of suddenly you need to track a new attribute, get it upstream, be able to present it downstream, and even further downstream in the sense that you also need to document, have I actually complied with this set of legislation? That do require things that we haven't seen before. And therefore, I dare declare, it's not wolf coming. It is the legislators coming with good intention to make sure that consumers at the very end can take the right informed decisions. And whether you look at that from a pure manufacturing perspective, partial manufacturing or other parts, it's the same requirement. You need to be able to document to whatever requirements will come downstream from a publishing perspective, but it all starts upstream. Like you said, it's coming. We're going to see more and more of this transparency required of 
all of those invested within their supply chain. Um, like you said, it may not just be at the manufacturer, but uh, you're going to have to go through the entire process and be able to document and, and understand exactly what is and is not accounted for within that uh, product's journey. Especially, uh, exactly. And I'm sorry for interrupting you here, because if you look at if you look at the um, digital product passport that are right now being debated in the EU, the European Union, which is much about how can the Europeans make a internal market or green market where you can only uh, sell products that are perceived or at least told to be environmental friendly, if and when they actually fulfill a set of generic requirements of information that you have to disclose moving forward. So by 2030, if you want to sell a piece of textile on Europe's soil, that individual piece of textile will have to have a digital product passport where you can scan with a QR code or whatever the, the carrier of that information will be, the digital journey of that product. And that's the, the, the product with all the attributes. Where does it come from? What fabric was it? How much dye was in it? What type of, of amount of water was used to get that particular wash? Those are information that legislature will ask actually force producers or manufacturers in this particular part on on something as as relative simple as textile but there is already now battery legislation coming for all batteries with more than two kilowatt hours if that is to be sold in europe there will be specific requirements for that that will be effective around 2027 2028 meaning all global manufacturers of batteries are looking into this this will impact the car industry same goes for a number of other product areas that has been taken up by European um, Council to, to say, here's where we need to start and get to this level of here is a minimum set of requirements that you have to give information about to sell these products within Europe. And Europe is a big market. So I think we do have some uh, benefit being not only a, a Scandinavian and a European based uh, company, but up until recently, I was also advising the Danish government particular on how to to take and implement these type of legislation into Danish legislation. You know, it sounds like accounting for all of that information may be overwhelming. Um, from the consumer perspective, like you mentioned, I think it'll get facilitated down to a, a, a single scan or, you know, a QR code, something like that, that can show you that entire journey in, in a nice little condensed package. But being an organization invested within that product's journey, that that seems like there's so much to account for. And there's going to be a lot of changes in the way that you implement any of your practices and move product throughout their, uh, its supply chain. With that in mind, what are some of these transparency practices or sustainability practices that organizations should be learning and implementing into their supply chain uh, so they're not left behind and that they are able to uh, accommodate these new requirements coming up down the road? It's a, it's a super relevant question because I don't think there is one simple answer. I could give you uh, 700 different yeah. short abbreviations of legislation and different types of ESG reporting requirements. And now this is Niels Steinfeld talking, not talking on behalf of Inver. I, I personally believe that we have to, to take a very close look at all those requirements. Because if you take a manufacturer today, I was speaking with one of our large global clients the other day, the amount of information they are supposed to be declaring on an ESG basis is uh, 
let's say at, at, at least overwhelming. And I'm not sure that there is value in all that. Uh, so I hope that legislators uh, within a reasonable time frame will come to the conclusion, maybe we overdid certain areas. But I strongly believe at the same time that the product information, which is when the day is over, imagine you do your CO2 footprint calculation, which is actually part of many different types of, uh, of ESG report. Imagine you did that in a structured way at a product level which is actually not impossible with the right data model. And that's what we work with our customers around. That is not the hardest thing on earth. I mean, you of course need to know the variances. You need to know the various generations. This links into what's coming with digital product passport and, and then some other uh, specific requirements in other countries. But once you have it at that level, then it is just, and I'm putting that in quotation, a matter of aggregation. Now the question of course will become, Will it then replace the other ESG reports? Personally, I don't think it would replace all of it uh, because I still believe the the uh, the market or or, or the, the the owner side would like another kind of view. But I do think that one of the big tasks for the next decade or this decade or the end of this decade, to be precise, is to make sure that we don't double count in the meaning that we have multiple way of counting the same thing. But I do believe that the product information is what will be the source. And then we can basically just begin aggregating. Uh, because when the day is over, if we manage to account for the CO2 emission at product level, and we basically just need to tell how many products did we sell. This is where we have an ERP system. They would be super fine in, in doing that level of calculation. However, you need to have that digital twin sitting somewhere where you aggregated all the various sources. And for me, that is in the product information management system and, and I guess one of the main reasons why um, we and our owners has, has been you know significantly investing in this area is because we think it is the natural place. This is as close to the fact as you can get and is the easiest to aggregate. Hence it will be the one that gives you the best level of, of specificity. And you can then begin looking at now do I get the best yield for the polluting element or whatever it is I want to take measures on because there is a positive impact that the second you begin understanding at product level, what is my waste? What is my emissions? Because once I understand my waste and I understand, for instance, also what is the, the reuse? How can I actually get some of the materials back and be part of a refurbishment? Then suddenly you can begin reducing your cost of goods. And for manufacturers, that's super relevant. The more heavier machinery you have, the more interested is you are in seeing, is there a way that I can get some of this material back, repurpose it, redo things around it, make additional services around it. And then suddenly the, the product journey is no longer this one line produce, buy and, and, and dispose, but then it becomes a circular product uh, journey. And, and, and our focus as a vendor in product information management is actually to build our data model in such a way that you as a customer can power the entire journey, also the circular journey where you begin having additional services, get the reuse part, get some of the parts in, good part receipt, and can account for that in the entire environmental and sustainability and circularity point of view, which is exactly what we see more and more manufacturers want to move into that direction. And then suddenly, 
this focus on getting to the core of the product or, or problem around uh, circularity and, and, and product information suddenly become your source to significantly improve your bottom line because suddenly you can reduce waste. And if there is one thing I think most businesses right now are focusing on is how can we reduce waste in our product uh, in our overall production? And once you begin understanding the breakdown of your products in an even higher level of detail, then you'll also understand that de this decompensation of your product and the information you have there can actually lead to overcome, let's say, potential environmental malpractices uh, and, and other weaknesses in your supply chain. It might be that you figure out that when we get this uh, product from this particular supplier, we are far from the norm we want to because you may have not necessarily put a focus on it. And you know that in a year or two or three, when legislators are going to have opinion about the maximum values or minimum values or just being able to disclose, if you haven't built that data model that can capture this now, you're going to have a big challenge because it takes time. Well, I think you, you wrapped it up succinctly there at the end. There's going to be maybe a, a limitless amount of different uh, data sets that you can capture, but without implementing some sort of data-driven technology to have in place to be able to navigate the overwhelming amount of data that will need to be accounted for, um, yeah, you're going to be left behind. I mean, just in Europe, we're talking about the fact that you have these sustainability and environmental uh, impacts and the, the recyclability uh, the, the belief in Europe, one of the most recent uh, reports I saw was that that alone was a four and a half trillion dollar opportunity from a circular economy. And that is waste. For me, that's a waste. When, when you have such a big opportunity, that is the waste that is in the ecosystem. And if we can tackle that by we providing uh, a, a data infrastructure where you can really have that granular view of your product information from also a circularity perspective, then I'm not just a software vendor. I'm actually also a dad who do something great for my kids, which is actually something that I hope they will be proud of one day and not just that dad is, is sitting and, uh, and, and being part of a, of a fast growing software company. And Niels, I know we've covered a lot on how the data really drives the decision-making and making sure that we have actionable data in place and, and the models in place to be able to use that. But can you kind of explain what that data-driven technology, such as PIM, um, how does that really help facilitate this level of accountability that's going to be asked of uh, organizations of the future? It's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to say we kind of covered it, but, but, you know, it's such a big theme. So I think it's great to have the question uh, put in a different way, because for me, every question starts with a why and, 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 and what new technology is about and why we need it is because the entire global supply chain somehow need to be recalibrated. I did mention the, 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 the part about textiles, but every piece of textile sold in Europe in 2030 will have a digital product passport that will have a predefined set of attributes. And all those, that could be like CO2 emission, could be the overall footprint, material use, make or how to treat the item, where it comes from. And, and if you are buying a t-shirt, a white t-shirt, 
let's say that the raw materials of that fabric, you know, you want to know how much water was used for the tree. What was the wash of the fabric? What chemicals was used to bleach? If it was bleach, well, obviously it was probably not a organic cotton, then it was a conventional cotton. All that information, you know, as a, as a retailer who needs to show this together with the product to the buyer, you need to get that for the producer of that sports gear or that t-shirt. That manufacturer of the t-shirt needs to have it upstream from the various sourcing partners he or she had had uh, in wherever in Far East this likely has been produced. You need to have the verification of all that information and you need to be modeled around it because what was in batch number one may be different to what is in batch number 10. And so if you do not create a common infrastructure to keep track of all those moving parts, AKA the attributes of the product, there is no way you can be ready for the future with the legislative requirement and the consumer requirements. Because tomorrow a consumer might want to know something else than what you thought they needed to know today. And if there is enough of them, you will see it in your sale. Because if you cannot fulfill their information requirement, they will put their dollar somewhere else. That's why you need this uh, new uh, platforms to, to, to cater for the reality that are soon to come. And you cannot sit with Excel spreadsheets and have to go back and figure out where is this information and then republish it all because the cost, the transaction cost will then simply just expand to a, a level where you have no way of, of running a profitable business. So you need to get that fully automated. It's interesting. I think when you, when you touch on the, the closing of that transaction, where's that consumer going to spend their dollar? Uh, it's going to be the places that they feel comfortable having that information accessible and navigable from their perspective. And um, it kind of ties into something else I wanted to ask you with organizations today that are putting in these transparency and accountability practices, uh, organizations that are publishing their their product information uh, data to their consumers, are they able to notice any measurable changes in consumer or purchasing practices uh, from those that do choose to engage with them? I guess, what are we seeing today that these organizations are really benefiting from uh, in terms of uh, customer engagement? So there is a number of research already uh, made across, I would say, multiple uh, different, uh, both universities, but also consumer, for businesses who focus on consumer behavior. They all point in one clear direction. A, the segment who are interested in environmental information generally have a tendency to be willing to pay a slightly higher price. Uh, secondly, the fact that you care about your consumer and what interests them, and that may not necessarily only be environmental. Uh, and I can give you examples of, of products where the, the bare fact that you're disclosing information and telling a story based on true facts uh, may actually still be what is right for that individual consumer to take the decision because not everybody are equally voting with their with their dollar. For some, it is much more important that the 
animal, if we're looking at food, if you're a food manufacturer or producer of food, that the animal were in a, in a good shape and had good healthy life, then the CO2 emission actually is the most important criteria for the purchase. But what we do see in most of the buying analysis is that the better you manage to tell not just your story, but to give your consumers the ability to choose, the more informed they are, the more loyal they stay with you as a brand. As long, of course, as you stay to the truth, because I think we've also seen numerous examples of businesses who wanted to tell the good story, but ended up to tell a story that wasn't accurate and then usually have the effect of a very, very hot returning boomerang that will hit them right in the face. It sounds like it's just getting started in this journey of being able to make that information forward facing to your consumers, to your customers. Um, that's just going, it's going to benefit you eventually because you're able to tell that story. Like you said, you're able to present choice. You're able to provide the information based on true information. You don't have to come up with a narrative. Uh, you just do have to account for the product's entire journey. Absolutely. I mean, you can see, I mean, if we, if we take classic attribute that I think everybody can understand, does this product have traces of peanut? Yes or no. For an allergic, that is super important. It's probably more important than anything else when that individual is buying a product. Others may have like a, a gluten uh, issue, might be that they have just figured out this is not good for my body. Others actually have a, I wouldn't call it an allergy for it, but have at least proven by doctors that they should definitely not have it. So there can be reasons why some attributes just very obvious. This is number one on my buying criteria. But then you have younger generations. And again, that varies from country to country. What is the most important thing? And I think when we look towards the European Union, when you look towards what they're doing in, in, in California with the latest act there, and then what else is, is being coming, is that they're saying, well, what are those attributes that potentially could have the best possible impact on the environment if we declared it and put it out to the consumer and said, now you choose. Because I'm not in favor of trying to say, well, you can't buy something that is not good. We can't be the judges. I think it's super important that neither we as a product information management business or the, the, um, the manufacturers should be the judges. But I think it's fair to say we want to put out some requirements on how they can declare what is in their product in an honest way. Yes, they will get a fine if they don't do it properly, but you know what? The recommendation and the negative publicity that they will likely get if and when it gets uh, somehow sorted is usually much bigger than, than any fine. So there is a good idea in actually being honest and transparent with your consumers or customers if you take someone in the industrial manufacturing it's equally important because it usually is part of a supply chain that I end up with somebody buying something at the very end. So it has to be accurate, whatever you do, because there will be a stakeholder who's buying based on an opinion that is tied to an obligation he or she have somewhere. Whether that is a legal requirement, personal buying trait, it's less important. The company, when it want to sell a product, have to be able to honestly tell what's in it. That's not too much to ask for. The requirement has, will be more and more flexible. We call that elastic because what we think we will tell tomorrow 
might change the day after. And that flexibility is the hard part. Anyone who's tried to go figure out what is this attribute? How am I going to get that information? Like all these suntan, suntan um, protection companies figured out there in 1718 when the Hawaii Act came up. You know, they all know the pain of this. And if you know anyone in that industry, you know, try ask them how it was to find one attribute. Very soon, the European legislators will come up with maybe 15, 20 uh, attributes they want to know about from a certain date for you to even sell the product. And those may change over time. And now do you have this uh, elastic model that allows you to change what you're searching for upstream and ask all your suppliers to provide you that information so that you can offer it downstream as per coming regulations or per coming consumer requests? That's the big ask. You nailed it there with the elasticity perspective. Um, even if you are an organization that is just getting started on accounting for these different measurements and these different data points that you have to capture, you can't keep a static model in place that's just going to account for what is being asked of you today. If you are getting into this journey, it's, it's of paramount importance to be able to establish a model that is able to adjust with the needs of both your organization and the outside pressures asking uh, for that information uh, that is relevant at that time. I think that is the key for the future. I mean, that is to provide you that automated elasticity where you as an organization can say, now I need this, I need to adjust my data model. And I can only say, if you haven't, if you don't, if you haven't started preparing for this, um, you should get started now. Niels, I noticed you said that you are focused on the new breed of product information management. What exactly is the new aspect to that? Great question. Thank you. Well, um, when when I when PIM started, as I said, it was much about the e-commerce scenario. And many were thinking, you know, it was about how do I put my products alive on a commerce platform? What we believe at Inverber is the new breed is where you're looking at multiple digital properties that needs this information. Yes, you still need it for your commerce, but if I'm a manufacturer, not a retailer, but, but think of it as a manufacturer. Reality is that somewhere between 40 and 50% of all product searches actually start on the marketplace, not necessarily with your retailers. So you need to make sure that all the information you have around your product is displayed, not just on your retailers or your uh, wholesalers or whatever you have in your downstream uh, go-to-market strategy, but you also need to think about what's my location on marketplaces. You may also have some in which are your products are part of a larger product. Um, that could be a tire uh, that is uh, on a car. Tires will have a digital product passport. You need as a supplier or, or manufacturer of tires to not only be able to cater for your digital product passport on your four tires that goes into this particular car, but the car manufacturer is constructing a car that includes your four tires that then needs to go to a car sales. So how do you actually get that level of information also sent out? And then lastly, if you, for instance, are fertilizer, I mean, one of my favorite examples, um, there is the new fertilizer directive. The new fertilizer directive actually also demands 
manufacturers of fertilizing information to send data to specific European legislators that has unique traits, meaning that the product information needs to now be distributed to some conformity areas. And then suddenly that means your downstream is many, many more endpoints than it was in the past. So when we talk about the new breed of PIM, we talk about how do you take all that information that you have gotten upstream, how do you secure that that is correct on all the endpoints? Because you don't want to put something to a conformity area in the EU and have a different story being told of a vendor who have parts of your products included and definitely not have discrepancy between your own commerce and your, uh, let's say, marketplace uh, presence. But it doesn't stop there when we talk about the new breed of PIM. Because as a manufacturer, you may also want to make sure that all the information that you then have distributed is actually adequately published. So you can syndicate as much as you want out, but you are very rarely in control of what, say, a marketplace actually end up publishing, which is why we also have digital shelf analytics as part of our built-in solution. So once you have done all the distribution of your information, we call that syndication. But once you have it out there, we have a large majority of, uh, of spiders, as we call it, that basically sits and scrape every day around 50,000 URLs for product-specific content and feedback that to the vendor. So he or she can see what types of products with which a digital endpoint is out of stock, is incorrectly positioned, has the wrong pictures, may not be categorized the right way. All those type of information we feed back on the product. And that's also relevant from a legislation perspective, because what if a sales channel does not publish the right information? Is that then the problem of the retailer or is it the problem of the manufacturer? Time will show when the final legislation is coming out. But imagine you have the capability to prove it and correct it right away. You would definitely want that because legal or not, you know that all your end customers will have the opportunity to have the right fact. Those facts you wanted them to see, we can give them that back and say, this is how it looks at all those websites where your products are out. This is what we refer to when we talk about the new breed of pen. The new breed certainly seems to be far more dynamic and wide reaching in uh, the amount of data that it is accounting for and, and making sure that it is available to uh, any stakeholder along that supply chain journey. And I think that's exactly a very good way of, of summing up because very soon we will most likely see legislators also having an opinion about, can you prove what you presented to whom, when? And if not, how do you know as a vendor or manufacturer that you are in control of your digital supply chain downstream? You cannot. So not having thought in that when you rethink the new breed of PIM, in our opinion, is equally important as thinking about how I secure that I have enough elasticity in my data model. So you need to have the elasticity in your data model to make sure that you can change fast, effective, and in a cheaper way with, with a set of costs that are manageable for the ever-changing need for new information and new attributes on your product.
but you also need to make sure that all that information actually gets all the way downstream. This is the syndication. And then you can document that it actually get all the way downstream. And this is where digital shelf analytics kind of put a, a red, beautiful line around it and looks like a nice present because this is what it should be. You need to optimize your way of handling product information management. And I believe we at InRiver is, uh, is all about just that. Yeah, I think the uh, the future is going to be interesting and what exactly is determined on uh, what needs to be accounted for, um, who is going to be responsible for reporting. Um, there's going to be a lot that only time will tell. Only time will tell, but get started now. That would be <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Nils, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time. It was a lot of great information. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Innovation Destination. Follow us online at supplychainconnect.com or find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter to stay up to date on the latest supply chain industry news. Do you have any questions or is there a topic you would like us to cover in a future episode? Please contact us at editors at supplychainconnect.com. That's E-D-I-T-O-R-S at supplychainconnect.com.